There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and you are listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in New York City. Uh, we're br- back from a brief hiatus.、Uh, the Roden Fellows are on break until next week. So, with them out of the way, <laughs> I've got a special show for you guys today.、Uh, CBS local sports writer and friend of this podcast, the great Jamal Murphy, is、uh, in the studio with me. He's my co host on Bill Roden on Sports. And then he's an alum of North Carolina AT. I always bring that there. Yeah, Aggie Pride. Oh, Jesus.、Um, and I-, I consider him to be an honorary Roden Fellow. Uh, together, we're going to be speaking with the great Michael Eric Dyson,、uh, the author of a new book, What Truth Sounds Like, RFK, James Baldwin, and our unfinished conversation about race in America. Yet another great read.、Um, we're talking about the book, which centers around a very heated conversation between former U.S. Attorney General and Presidential hopeful Robert Kennedy and a group of black celebrities, writers, and activists. And we're celebrating.、Uh, Uh, acknowledging the anniversary of the death of Robert F. Kennedy. The interesting thing about Professor Dyson's book is that he says he, he links that conversation in '64 with a conversation that's happening today, that needs to be happening today. Anyway, a long introduction, but welcome, everybody. Welcome, gentlemen. Good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah. Now, I must tell everybody that. We just had a scintillating conversation, which you will never hear. <laughs> I'm not going to even tell you. What are you, you、right、talking、now. about? What are you talking、oh, about? What are、oh, you、yeah. talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> In other words, I was going to ask like a, a, a question, and then everybody would be silent, but I'm not going to even ask the question. I can't even do it. No, I can't no. even do it. This, I don't even know what you're talking about. This, <laughs> <laughs> That's the deep state. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> it does exist. <laughs> anyway,、yeah. I want to get right into the book, but the first thing I want to ask you. Professor Dyson, Reverend Dyson, Dr. Dyson.、Mm-hmm. This is your 19th book. Number 20. Who's、wow. counting? It's 20. It's, it's 20.、Mm-hmm. All right. So now he's showing off. So I just got, <laughs> I, so 20 books. So I just got a call from my editor asking me, where the hell is my chapter? Not book. Where's my chapter? And I said, this brother is like talking about 20 books. So I, I got to ask him the first, before we get into the, the richness of this book, what's, what can you tell all the struggling writers out there? You know, who are like trying to struggle. Like, okay, some people have 10, ch- 10 children, some people have none.、Mm-hmm. Some people married five times, some people <laughs> one to the same woman. Right. Some people write one, two, but what's the, what, give me the formula, what's the secret? I mean, when you drop a classic like 40 million, you ain't got to write but one every 20 years. That's what you got to do, because you dropping classics. Okay. You dropping a phenomenal tell, book. But can we, tell me the secret. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Tell me the secret. You know, the, the thing is, you、Seriously. know, it's about passion, and it's about discipline to passion. You know?、Um, and I'm inspired by Kobe shooting shots every day,、mm-hmm. you know, when he was at his height,、uh, or Jordan, or now LeBron taking care of his body. In that order? In that、uh, order? Oh, no. No. <laughs> well, my order first was Kobe before MJ. No question about that.、Wow. I will fight See, that to the end.、Wow. See, I, you、right. know, now, I, I kind of, I, I know we're good, but I, I kind of, anytime you get three brothers around,、right. like in ball, and, and particularly when Professor Dyson grew up in Detroit, right,、yes、saying、sir. he was a shooting guard, I said, wait, you was a shooting guard in Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> Do we mean shooting guard? Or shooting? I mean, I ain't commenting on that. <laughs>、uh, but anyway, no, but we, we, we're going to get into JFK, who, by the way, the Kennedys, Were big sports guys. No doubt about we're it. Get, we're going to get into that. Boating, the, the, all that too. Yeah. You know?、um, it's not a sp- boating, sport. <laughs> Come on. But no, Yachting, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I, I always thought, with all due respect to Michael, Kobe was a killer. Doc. Kobe was Doc. a killer. But nobody ever, he's not in this conversation. You know, this is what kills me, so to speak. First of all, as a, Michael Jordan can never be repeated or duplicated as a force. There's no question about it. Came along when there was a convergence of underground economy, ba- basketball, shoe market, and globalization of the game. No doubt about it. Nobody can ever repeat that. But as a player, 
ball on the floor, shooting over difficult opponents who are taller than you, and he never faced the ones that Kobe faced. Mm. Complicated schemes, um, the way in which he made more complicated shots and willed himself as a killer against the opposition. Footwork, Jordan could not touch Kobe Bean Bryant. Sorry, I saw them both play, and I know all the, the, the politically correct thinking is Michael's the greatest. No. In my book, Kobe Bean Bryant was a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. Now what we see LeBron doing. So now who's your one? Were you a, La- were you a Laker fan? Yeah, well, I was. Okay. I mean, from okay. The kid. So there's got to be some, some reason. <laughs> well, no, well, no, when I was a kid in Detroit, okay. I mean, I loved Dave Bing magic, and I loved magic. Jimmy Walker. Uh, you know. He was a magic fan? We don't want to go around. Right, right. See, I'm when you go down the Jimmy Walker thing, then we go. Sorry, Jalen. And I love Jalen Moore. So I got to say, Jalen, I dig you. I'm sorry. But your, bo- your daddy was balling with Dave. And Jimmy all Walker of the, was bad now. Jimmy Walker, Jimmy Walker ball. was bad. So my thing is, is that, but then I loved the Lakers, Jimmy, you know, Jerry West, Gail Goodridge, uh, Elgin Baylor. So I loved them. And then Wilt, and then along came Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. who came to our high school, top of the key, throwing 35 in in high school. I was like, this man going to be bad. Right. So, yeah, I'm a Laker fan, but right. no, I'm a fan of genius and greatness. And Kobe Bean Bryant was that guy. Had more discipline than Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Had more commitment. Mm-hmm. Monomaniacal. Jordan had gambling and okay, and okay. other stuff around. Kobe was laser well, what, focused what, on this. Kobe did have a he did have a a, a little thing. Well, yeah, I mean that was a complicated. So but again, one, that was complicated. Before we get to to Robert F. Kennedy and this great book, who's one, two, three? Then who's Man. one, two, three? See, that, let me say this with an asterisk before LeBron okay. James yeah. is doing what he's doing now. Like, even Steve Kerr said. That guy across the aisle is doing some stuff I don't think we ever seen before. Right. And he played with Michael he Jordan. Played with right. Michael. Okay. So before LeBron, let me just say this, it would it would be Kobe number one, MJ number two, and maybe the other MJ, Magic. Mm. You Not know, Kareem. Maybe why, Kareem. Why, I was gonna why, say Kareem. Why is it Kareem in this? You know what? That's Kareem, to Kareem, catch Kareem, Kareem gets this. Kareem big men. gets this. Kareem gets Absolutely. this because he got six rings, he got MVP right. finals and he got stuff. documentaries, books. I mean, come on. And he's so all together. But see, the reason LeBron also is in the conversation now is not only because he's what he's doing on court at, in the 15th year. And Michael Jordan retired, had 13 years in. Kobe got hurt. I, yeah. I acknowledge that, but he went out on 60. When you were 20 years in the game, you can tell him, take this with you. At 60 <laughs> points, you a bad man. But LeBron has been relatively blessed and not hurt. So 15 years, this is like Michael Jordan's 36-year-old game right now, right. All right, what he's doing. It is it's utterly phenomenal, but it's his outside the sports stuff. Right. It's the fact that he speaks up for black people. It's the fact that he trained, he had his guys trained by white right. agents and other entrepreneurs, and then when they got up to snuff, he fired the white folk and hired the black people right. who was guy. Y'all can't look. In that sense, you to go on that level right. in right. terms of your commitment uh, to black people and into your own race unapologetically. Michael right. Jordan lost his voice when he found his range. Right. He never said a thing. And then he said, when I retire, I'll speak. Anybody want to listen to you? Ask right. Obama. Anybody bar- to hear barely you? Barely speaking. Right. Anybody want to talk to you? Yeah. Look, yeah. he ain't saying nothing now. Right. So, so in that sense, but as, right. a, as a basketball player, until LeBron, I put an asterisk this year, we got to see what his career is. Kobe Bean Bryant, to me, was the greatest basketball player ever. So just to be clear, because, you, know, you know, Professor Dyson, are you saying that right, I mean, because we don't deal with asterisks right, right. on this show. We we deal with either. So so right I'm now, saying, right now, if you have to give us your three of all time, has has mm. LeBron leapfrogged over Kobe in your book? Man, that's and I know. Well, I'd say that he's active. He's making an argument. I'm not saying he's done it because five rings. You see, when Jordan gets credit for this. He got six rings. He got six finals MVPs. You know what? Ask yourself in life who has character. People who fail. People who get it. Right. And, and right. not only fail before. Jordan failed like in those eight years before he got the ring. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about the man himself said, the reason I succeed is because I failed so much. All right? Now, people are trying to make him God and, and like he was a perfect. Wait a minute. It's the person who fell down at his height who then got back up. That's a longer road to come back on. So I'm saying to you, people like, I mean, going to the finals eight years in a row? Ridiculous. I mean, that's insane. And you ain't in the Bill Russell era? And not with necessarily with the exception of the Miami team, not with great teams. Dude, most of the times this team's ain't favored. This this group? This group? Dude. This group here. You Jesus. Forget GOAT. You might be God. (laughs) This this group here, somebody told me, in fact, she was on the show, I mean, an avid 
Michael Jordan person. Right, right. Sunset, right? She says, if this guy gets to the finals with this team, right. J.R. Smith, and we saw why. We saw with, with, oh, with, with, with J.R., you see why the kind of clown Come that this on. guy, that the Come one on. guy, George Hill, that the reason why he, you wonder why guys don't get to a certain level. Clutch moments. You, you ain't ready do, for you him. You ain't ready for him. He and then you want well, LeBron Matt. And then right. they said about uh, Kobe, they did a study. If he wasn't a basketball player, he'd be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. what the dude is. Kobe right. was focused. And, and I, Doc. And I, 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 from the Kobe perspective, I feel like you're you're saying from like aesthetically, like what he like the like ball the beauty playing. of the game. Ball, ball playing. I'm talking about actual mechanics too. I mean, he had better footwork than Jordan. He had a better. He learned to be a better shooter. Neither he or Jordan. I agree with that. I agree with better that. shooter. Over even Phil Jackson had to acknowledge that making more complicated shots over taller opponents. Right. Jordan never had to fake dirt the Visky on the darn on the darn wing. You didn't. You didn't have to do this. So, better athletes in that time. Look right now, the game has evolved. So we got to say, if LeBron, I remember the late great. What's the uh, Skip Sanders? Is it Flip Sanders? Flip Sanders. I'm, yeah. a, I'm up here debating. I think with uh, George Carl's son or somebody. Right when it, when he was the coach in D.C. At one of the games there. I said, man, I said, to me, Kobe is better than Jordan, blah, blah, blah. Flip Sanders, this is like, what, 10, 8, 10 years ago. He says, yeah, there's a guy in Cleveland that might put it into all that conversation. Right. Yeah. He, he was saying it then. I was yeah. like, really? Yeah. I said, man, he said, that guy might put it into all that conversation right there. Yeah, one of the few people who have lived up to the, the billing. That, right. in, in a way, that kind of leads into, uh, well, it, we're going to make it lead into mm-hmm. how true sounds because you start by talking about passion. But one of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about the conversation mm-hmm. that, that was at the, at the root of your book, right. it's possible that if this if that meeting were held today, right. n- not with POTUS 45, right, right, but right, right. It, right. LeBron would probably be in that room. Yep. But but this thing that we're talking about, we're talking, in the NFL, you still had quotas and right. blacks can't play this and they can't play that right and now if you look from 60 to now where that this is a whole new pillar right that really didn't didn't exist in terms right. of who you would invite into that room that's right no it's a great point i mean in 63 when they had this meeting the level of awareness and consciousness and let's be honest you know, when black people's backs are against the wall, collectively speaking, because in 64, there's relatively less progress to be acknowledged and less resources to be shared. Because it's a, it's a bigger stake now to speak out now than before, because the money is deeper. See, and, that, and that's a, actually, I'm, I'm, you know, you, you normally, typically, money is supposed to be liberating. Right. But I right. think if you look at this group. You have to raise the question, is money liberating or is it like another shackle? Has it been another shackle? Well, somebody wrote a book about $40 million slaves, man. I mean, the, the point is you're absolutely right because now – well, don't speak up. Well, don't say anything because you're going to mess up your Q rating. Don't speak up because you're going to mess up how people see you as a potential advert, advertiser and so on and so forth. So it, th- the fact that LeBron has spoken up regardless of that is truly remarkable yeah. because in this day and age, you got more to lose. Right. You got more money to lose. You got more endorsements to lose. You got more cash to lose. You got more ability to make a living to lose. So let's not pretend that there is a a parallel between then and now when Jabbar and Jim Brown and whoever else was in that room with Ali and all those athletes. Bill Bill Russell. Russell, Bill Russell Russell was there. Ali. Ali, uh, You know, they were there for Ali. You know, all uh, of them came together. Who else? A couple of. Oh, you know, uh, the uh, Willie Davis. Willie Willie Davis Uh, was there. Walter Beach, who was on the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, those guys. Remember, that was 66. That was right. That's still three years before. Later than the meeting. meeting Right after the meeting. And it's and it's amazing that you're right. Right now, it would be LeBron. You know, D-Wade would probably show up with him. Maybe, uh, you know, Eric Reed, right? Kaepernick would show up and some other guys. But, you know, the, the, the reality is that the woke factor of being aware of what's going on is so depressing. We got, you know, not only in terms of athletes, but in terms of entertainers, because these right. were entertainers. Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. uh, Lena Horne, mm-hmm. uh, Lorraine Hansberry, Jimmy Baldwin. And, and, and when they went in that room, the white man, Bobby Kennedy, thought, well, they're going to be very grateful to me right. as right. a white man right. for the things we've done. Right. They lit right. him up. The brother, the brother who started it. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, the, the young brother. Oh, who Jerome, did, Smith. Uh, Smith. Jerome Smith. Jerome Smith in the meeting. A man in the, uh, I, you know, again, I was at a recent event where Harry Belafonte was in a conversation with me, and the granddaughter of Jerome Smith was there. And he, she said at 82, he's still doing the same thing, still <laughs> breaking them down, mm. because you are who you are. Um, and Jerome Smith said, we're tired of the BS. We don't want to hear that. 
And this white man ain't even been talked to like, wait, I'm the attorney general of the United States of America, the brother of the president. And he lit him up and he said, we're tired of this because the Kennedys gained more rep- reputation in death than they earned in life. Yeah. Right. Because they, you know, they put on the bench, uh, Harold Cox, who was calling black people niggers on from the bench. They also um, supported uh, practices of duplicity because. You know, John Kennedy told the governor of Georgia, look, we're not going to use federal power to intervene in behalf of integration when we get in office. And then he's telling the black leaders, OK, I'm going to do something about uh, civil rights over here. So he was playing both ends against yeah. the middle. And Bo- Bobby Kennedy was part of the team. He was a bit better, but he understood what was at stake. He was he was trying to tell these uh, black leaders. He said, I don't want to talk to King or Whitney Young or Adam Clayton Powell. I want to talk to people who are on the front line and on the cutting edge. Well, when you ask for that, be careful what you ask for. That, that's that's what, what he got. And I want to clarify that, too. I mean, that, that meeting w- became tense, but almost from the beginning, it was almost what was telling us who wasn't there. Oh, yeah, right. You know, uh, well, they deliberately didn't want him there. They didn't want King there. Yeah. Bobby Kennedy said, look, I don't want to hear from them. Right. Cause then, and, and, then, and then Baldwin said, yeah, because then they have to respond for the SCLC. I have to be conscious of etiquette, and I don't want to say anything that's going to compromise mm-hmm. my organization. He wanted people who could be free. Mm-hmm. And and Bobby, you know, oh, you want some free people? Right. Oh, well, you got some free people <laughs> right, then, right, you know? Right, right. But there and was then, a dispute, right, over, over whether he was actually, whether Martin Luther King Jr. was actually invited or not. Exactly right. You read closely, sir. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, because Baldwin said he didn't invite him, but Kenneth Clark said, yeah, you kind of talked to him, and then he deputized me, Kenneth Clark, who was a great social psychologist. Glad they had an intellectual up in there. Thank God. Somebody had to be up there representing the intellectuals. So he was up in there, and he said that King deputized him and told him the kind of things he wanted to be said. And even Harry Belafonte said the reason I went to the meeting, because he was close with King, too, he said, I didn't want Bobby Kennedy using what we said as famous entertainers against King. Mm. What kind of conscience is that? Mm. Now we got a guy saying that slavery wasn't, you know, that it was a choice as opposed, you know, to, and I right. love Kanye. Let's right, just right, be right. real. I love right. Kanye, but come on, bro. No, that, right. And on the other hand, here's Helen Belafonte saying, I'm not going to do anything to compromise the leadership of King because I'm dealing with the whole, the main of our people's progress. That's the kind of commitment that we saw in that room. And that's why it was at a, such an extraordinary meeting. Well, why did you use, uh, that meeting as a jumping point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, when you read, when you read Smith's comment, uh, and he says that, uh, as, you know, for those of us who are like of that age, right. and like I was, what, 14 mm-hmm. when that happened. But I saw a direct link when he said, I wouldn't fight for this country. Right. And it made what Colin Kaepernick said and did. It was like bingo right there. Right he, there. He, and this is 1963. And he said that, uh, the, and this set Bobby Kennedy off. And, I, you know, and, uh, your explanation was great. He said, you know, I've had enough. I just right. got my ass kicked. Right. And now you want me to go and serve things. Uh, Ali would say, say the same thing later. Right. I ain't right. got no problem with those Viet Cong. That's right. That's and in, right. in 2016, you've got Colin Kaepernick kneeling because of the same stuff. So there is right. this brilliant but unfortunate, tragic timeline. Right. But, but my question, why? so why did you want to use that meeting uh, as as a jumping off point for what still needs to happen. Well, what today. you brilliantly, you just brilliantly explained it. I looked at the parallels. I'm like, man, you know, look at the, 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 the telling Bobby Kennedy, you know, you want us to go fight some people that ain't, we ain't got no problem with these brown people that y'all are messing over. And, and by the way, we have fought at black people, you know, for the war and we ain't got no benefit. Think about all those black soldiers who returned from World War II. They were in their uniforms. White folk yes. got so mad they would lynch some of them. Yeah. They would kill them. Now, 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 wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm confused. You want me to be patriotic, but when I'm patriotic, you're going to kill me for having the unabashed temerity to wear your darn uniform. So I saw the parallels between what was going on then and what's going on now. What is social conscience about? How should athletes and entertainers and activists uh, use their power and strength to represent their people? How do white politicians interact with black thinkers and thought leaders and activists? What is what is the role of political leaders and figures in our racial advancement and progress and this meeting and how how do you get a a group of people together who actually tell the truth who tell white people the truth because white people are so rarely afforded the opportunity to hear the truth barack obama love him he ain't tell white folk no folk no truth now 
He ain't telling them the truth because they can't handle it. Truth? You can't <laughs> handle the truth. Yeah. Right? That would be a Jack Nicholson moment. You right. you can't handle the truth. And he wouldn't have been POTUS 44. Right. No, he wouldn't have. But, but in the second term even, when he but, came up on the second term, it was like, bruh. You could do a little bit more right now. Well, okay, and here's the real test. Now he out of the office. What are you doing? Making paper? Oh, please don't get me on that. <laughs> yeah. And I ain't mad. Look, make right. your paper. Right. But now that you're out of office, but, of course the people ain't gonna listen to you the same way, but he hasn't spoken up about the issues that are critical and important to us. Make your paper, get paid, get your loot, but also make a difference. And he ain't really speaking up right now. See, this is, this is almost like to a lot of people, this is blasphemous. Talking about photos 44 is blasphemous as saying, Kobe is better than Jordan. I mean, I know, like, I know, to a lot of people, I you cannot, you cannot say, but you know. Hey, and that's just like those uh, Trump supporters who can't hear no criticism of yeah. him. So if you, if you mad at, see, this is what I'll tell black people. If you mad at people criticizing the Obama, then apologize to these people you mad at for not criticizing Trump. Cause mm-hmm. y'all the same thing. Right. You just bought the Kool-Aid. Now I'm not saying those are the same kind of men. They're not. You know, we miss Post 44. He's a brilliant guy, articulate, but it doesn't mean we have to worship him. Yeah. It says that we got to call him out for the things that are, you know, when you look at that group of people, Baldwin and the, they called out press, they called out people who had to be held accountable. You know, it's not only that we're not like them because we don't speak up as athletes. We're not like them because we don't challenge our leaders, including a Barack Obama, right. a Michael, whoever. It doesn't make a difference. We have to be held accountable. And maybe, and maybe in terms of challenging leaders, challenging the white leaders, as you're pointing to, we haven't done that. But I'm reading through the, I'm reading through your book, and the one thing that sticks out to me is things are still the same right. as far as the white mentality, especially oh, yeah. not treating not treating black people like a man. That's right. That's um, right. That's you right. know, t- treating it as political rather than moral. All That's that right. stuff is the same right now. Same thing going on right now. You know, they they challenged Bobby Kennedy. Tell Jack Kennedy to use your bully pulpit. That's the moral dimension of race. Don't just tell me it's political and legislation, legislative and so on. And we're having that big argument right now. We got a president standing up saying, oh, both sides are good. You know, the bigots and the people against the bigots. You know, we got a guy who excretes the feces of his moral depravity every morning into a nation he's turned into his psychic commode. It's a bunch of ish. And he keeps doing it. And he keeps assaulting people. He's treating the entire nation like white folk treated us throughout our history, like a nigga. That's what he's doing. And now white people going, wait a minute, it feels bad to be treated like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you think right. we don't know? Welcome right. to our world. Yeah, right. welcome welcome to what we've been doing for like 300 years. But, but here's, here's what, I want to go a couple of different ways with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we talk about trying to get white people to hear us, Golden State is playing Cleveland. Now, right. Tyron Lue is not going to go into the, the Golden State locker room and ask Steve Kerr for mercy. Right, right, right. Because Golden State is clearly the enemy. Right, right. Clearly right. opposition. I got you. What Ty, Tyron Lue is saying, I just got to make sure my locker room is straight. That's right. right. I got to make sure we're straight. Right. I don't give a damn. I ain't trying to get him to hear me. Right. He's going to hear me when when LeBron busts his ass. Right, right, right. So I'm thinking with, with our group, we've got – and you and I have a few times we've talked right. about different rivalries that we all have. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, man – we got to get our locker room together because the stuff that's coming down at us, this right. full core press, we need our locker room. And to me, we're talking about, again, the triumph of mammon. Right, right. That's sort of where we, when that becomes the highest value, right. everything gets compromised. You mentioned no like, preach. I mean, almost everything gets compromised. No it's, doubt. But look. You're, you're absolutely right, but see, here's a couple of disanalogous features between that metaphor okay. and that analogy. First of all, he ain't asking Steve Kerr because they're playing on equal playing field. Rules are clear. Everybody some people, some people would argue that, but yeah. But, yeah well, no, no, you're no, right. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. The referees been no, jacked no, up. No, but, no, okay, no, I'm just going to say the referees jacked up. For the sake of argument, you're, you're right. right. A you're right. block is not right. a friggin' nothing, charge. Nothing, okay. nothing close to what we've been going through. Oh, yeah, right, right, exactly. But But what I'm saying to you, the parallel is because those rules are clear. They know what they're doing, relatively right. speaking. Whereas with us, we're trying to ask for the rules to be clear yeah. and the playing field to be equal. We want to say when we go to Starbucks, we want to be treated like people, right. too. Right. When we go to have a, a barbecue in Oakland, we want to be treated, too. So, no, the rules ain't fair yet, dog. Right. They ain't equal yet. Then we can play. Oh, when they fair, that's what they fair afraid of. Right. Boy, don't let Negroes have an equal chance. Well, that's because no, they, don't yeah. let Negroes right. have an equal right. chance. Right. We will kill. 80% of them. <laughs> And, and that's why 80% of the NBA and 79% of the NFL, because Come on. even though they do change the rules, right, they, they, right. they do change the rules. Right. They do change the rules. In light of us, but I'm saying, but but it ain't a white boy can kick a field goal and it count a Negro can't. 
That, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, right, like, right. right in that sense, right? right? Those are objective measures, right. supposedly, right? right? A touchdown is a touchdown. If you, uh, uh, thrown out, now you can have, uh, you know, referees interpreting that well. Was that, did he control the ball all the way down and blah, blah, blah? Oh, I won't be watching football this year because I'm not complicit in a system that undermines my people. But having said that, that, that was one feature. And number two, you got to figure out who on your, who on your team. Everybody your color ain't on your team. Now, Clarence right. Thomas, what, what, you going, what, we going, Clarence Thomas on our team? Ben Carson on our mm-hmm. team? I mean, I'm sorry. But you they know, black? So I'm saying, so we could disagree. We could have, look, LeBron can turn to JR. Wait, what right. are you doing? Right. What are you doing? Right? I mean, now, later it, on. I mean, that you do that. Yeah, you know I don't know what, that. I don't know what, uh, he was thinking. <laughs> Be better tomorrow. Right. Be better. Right. So I love him. I love right. LeBron. So my thing is that, yeah, we're going to have disagreements and scuffles. We're going to have, uh, skirmishes. That's to be sure. And all black people ain't agree with all black people in order for black people to, to, to succeed. Right. Cause we ain't all going to agree right. on we have nothing. To, like any team. We have never done yeah, that. Like right. any team, but at least I, I guess using a team analogy, you've got to get your locker room straight. You gotta I, get your I'm, I'm with that. Straight. But some of y'all ain't on the same. Look, we got a league. We got a league of blackness. There ain't one team. Right. Blackness ain't one team. Blackness is a league. So we got the Dallas Cowboys. We got the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. We got the Crazy Negroes. We got all, we got Detroit Lions. Right. Right. We got teams they of blackness. This ain't, right. this ain't the right. They're franchises right. of blackness, Doc. Right. Right. Republicans, uh, Democrats, uh, leftists, nationalists, uh, you know, p- people who are feminists. I mean, we got teams of blackness. So was there any war? And if you, if you go to at, at the time of that meeting, right. was the community simply because we were all Force together. That's right. 64. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it seemed like there was a little more accountability. I mean, it was hard to be an Uncle Tom because you still had to come back. Oh, they were plenty of times. They existed, okay. right. They existed. Oh, they were plenty of times. Yeah, right. but you but you still had to come back into it. There are black folks now who probably don't see other black folks. Right. That's until, true. Until Outward, they, out, out migration, uh, progress. Black people ain't got to live with each other under segregation. Now right. they integrated. They got to the suburbs. Right. They ain't got to face coming back to Harlem. Where they right. didn't talk trash and now they got to deal with the consequences of it. That's right. true. That physical proximity, right? So that you're absolutely true about that. And there has been a shift. But at the same time, I'm saying black people have to give up the notion that we all have to be unified in order for us to mm. have progress. We don't. And let me tell you what. If that were the case, we would have never had progress. Martin Luther King Jr. and all the other great figures in the civil rights movement, it was only a few Negroes. Right. All of us benefit. Few of us participate. Mm-hmm. Few of us, even fewer still, sacrifice. So even though Martin Luther King Jr. and his band of patriots, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker, Joanne Robinson, Septima Clark, mm-hmm. all them, all those people who were brave fought for us and in some cases died for us and we benefited even though we might be critical of them, talking trash about them, but they made it possible for us to do what we do. But all black people would, were not participating and all black people That's ain't right. going to agree and we ain't got to do that. So, I mean, But basically it's, it's how do we get the, the book is basically about how we get to this equal playing field. We're right, talking right. about fields, how we get mm-hmm. to that equal playing field. Right. And one of the lines you have in the book uh, mm-hmm. bigotry never bows to reason. Right. So I'm like, what are we going to do then? Yeah, you got to you got to have power. <laughs> you got to have action. You got to mobility. You got to challenge uh, to that to to the the powers that be. And Martin Luther King, look, W. E. B. Du Bois said he used to believe, man, if I can just prove rationally, right. right. That these things are wrong, they will bow to reason. Right. No, they don't. Yeah. They don't care. They don't love these bros, <laughs> right? They don't love you. They don't care about your superior reasoning. If if that's the case, the smartest Negroes would have been the most well respected. They were the most hated because then you can challenge white supremacy. So no, I mean what we need to bring uh, forth is power, is resistance, is concentrated effect. If we could tell these black football players, if y'all got together. It just even the most famous of you and said, hell no, we ain't playing. Or we're going to raise our fists. Yeah, we're going to bow together. Find all of us. Keep finding all of us because mm-hmm. we got a fund. We're going to raise money. We're going to do a, a GoFundMe page. Negro, mm-hmm. I would I would contribute to that. You, I, Even if you're a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. I contributed to that right. because it is about us standing up. Here's a man, Colin Kaepernick. Look, made $19 million <coughs> his last uh, contract. No, he, he didn't know he wasn't going to get another one. I hope he saved his chips. You know, but that means half of that money is already taxed. All of a sudden, you got to give your agents all that, and you still gave a million dollars cash to the movement. You are putting your money where your mouth is. But if we could leverage our own social influence and just speak up and say, "No, we're not going to let y'all cow us," and we are the players, and we are the ones who have the interests of the American public, and y'all can't just willy nilly replace us. Right? There'd be some movement going on there, man. 
Well, I, I want to. We're going to take a break. I want to get back to that because I'm going to tell you why that ain't happening. All right, sure. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with the great Michael Eric Dyson, author of the new book, his twentieth. <laughs> what <laughs> What truth sounds like? Uh, we're going to talk about black athletes. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. So, that, well, there's one thing we're not going to talk about. Yeah, we and I'm not going to tell you what we're not going to talk about. <laughs> All right, stay tuned. If you're just now tuning in, I'm Bill Roden, and you are listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. Uh, like I said before, the fellows are off until next week. We put them back on the field. Uh, so I'm here with some special guests, uh, author Michael Eric Dyson and CBS local sports writer Jamal Murphy and North Carolina A&T grad. Uh, <laughs> Dyson has a new book out, What Truth Sounds Like, RFK. James Baldwin, and our unfinished conversation on race in America, where he writes about a historic meeting between Robert Kennedy, James Baldwin, and other prominent black activists and artists. Anyway, you know, we, 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 we ended talking about this thing, and I think that uh, DeMora Smith has really gotten a huge pass in this. You know, he, he let Colin Kaepernick hang out to dry, didn't really say anything, publicly or privately, and this could have been the galvanite. Forget him. If you if you run a union, baseball union, you don't let one person get hung out like that. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, he could have used that moment because the owners always kill the owners always kill the players. He could have used that moment as his galvanizing moment mm-hmm. around this principle. Now here we go a year later, and now his back is against the wall. Now you know, and we talk about who you would invite to a room. Right. Well, there are certain players who didn't invite Colin into the room. You know, the whole players coalition thing, you know, that they had this thing going on. And now all of a sudden, and and we always do this, you have a group of people and they're going to negotiate with the owners. Colin, you kind of stay away. We're going to do this on our terms. So you're going to take the hush money. You know, that's okay because there are more ways to skin a cap. Like you said, we don't have to. All, you know, you kneel, I stand, I take the money, you don't take the money. But they take the money and then still they're being all ushered in to the middle of the plantation high noon and flogged publicly. Mm. Said now you Negroes had better come out, Mm. you know, and when you come out, you know, hand over the chest. So I guess my my, my point, though, was was about the leadership. I think that to your point, I think that had um, had DeMars use his bully pulpit as the as the executive director of this union, maybe we would have had that government. Maybe everybody would have moved in some type of lockstep. We'll all kneel because you know, it's a team. Every they're not gonna mm. they aren't gonna fire everybody. They're not gonna <clears throat> fire everybody. Yeah, I mean it's it look, it's formidable because when you look at what Roger Goodell, I mean, the the devastation of having a leader of a league that is making billions of dollars on the backs of these black players and then to insult them to their faces, right. you know, regard, I mean, at some level as a human being, but in this case, as a man, yeah. you know, and some of them I think have been touched to your point about leadership. They find the leadership in themselves. They go like, look, there's, there's only so much so far, so far I'm going, I ain't been to no more. I ain't going, you know, let these white folk going now tell me these white leaders, white, and they are mostly white men, and many of them Southerners mm-hmm. who own these teams. An owner is a problematic term right. to begin with. Mm-hmm. And even when <clears throat> I think it was Andre Iguodala said so, and Mark Cuban, a liberal white owner in the basketball, no, you're being too politically correct, blah, 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 because it, 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 any way you challenge it, they see it as an offense. So the reality is, is that you got to decide in your own mind at some part, in some part of your own conscience, that I got to stand up enough is enough. And to your point, and I think if they did, if they leveraged that, if they used that as a way to say, I ain't going to stand for this, um, you know, when they look at the ratings uh, and say, well, 
the football ratings are down because the white fans are just tired. Right. No, maybe Negroes, maybe black right. people they don't, have not watched they, the game you, because of how you mistreated us. They don't even take that into they've account. They've never, ever <clears throat> mentioned it. And I can't, never. I can't go anywhere without never. a friend of mine saying, I'm not watching the Super, you know, I'm right. not watching right. football. I had a Super Bowl party. I had like two people show up. Right, right, right. That's Nobody real. was watching it last year. That's what I'm saying, especially now. But yeah. we never get credit for that. We yeah. have put a dent into that. That's right. I mean, the consumer has put it, and you, all of us sitting up here, we love football. Right. But I, like this year, I can't even get down with it, man. And I saw, and I saw one, uh, one study that showed that, there, you know, that there was no concrete number that they could say, uh, or there was nothing concrete right. that they could say that, that it the, was the white, know, white people yeah, not right. watching was yes. doing anything to the ratings because, just as many black people were not watching because and of that what could have been watch, it. Right. right? We watching tremendous. And also numbers. the rating, the ratings uh, question is it, the ratings issue is a joke anyway because right. all the ratings came down right. and the NFL is still on top by a mile oh, over anything God. else. Oh, they didn't yeah. lose ain't any. They didn't close. lose any money. That's right. Ain't nothing. Printing print money. Printing oh, money. Yeah. yeah, I always wonder. I mean, we talk about the NBA, and I was just hearing the NBA kind of congratulates itself a lot, and I was just wondering, you know. And we talked about this before. So they, they signed a contract that said they got to stand. Right, right, so right. So I'm like, okay, don't stand behind that. Don't stand behind right. the fact, well, you know, we can't do it. Because if you feel that strongly about this stuff, about one of your own guys in Milwaukee getting tasered, kneel. Right, Protest. Right. Okay, they say you got to stand. They didn't say you got to, you could do this. Right, right, right. Now, let's see how popular you are. And that gets back to this whole whole liberal mystique. Oh, yeah. You know, let's, no, see, no. let's see how popular you are. If a couple of you guys during the NBA finals or whatever right. start raising your fist, say, okay, right. yeah, okay, you signed a contract that said, you know, you, you had to stand. Okay, stand. But they didn't say anything about bowing your head, raising your fist, letting people know, the predominantly white fan base know right. that you're pissed off by this. Yeah. I mean, the only compensating virtue probably that the NBA has is that they have so many other outlets where they almost are encouraging their athletes to – to both be members of communities and therefore express social service. Mm. Don't confuse social service with social conscience. Mm. Building a house for a poor family is great. It ain't speaking out against police injustice against African-American people who are unarmed. So they'd rather have, in any sport, social service. Let's build houses, NBA, NFL right. cares, yeah. as opposed to going to where Trayvon's situation is. That's where. But when LeBron weighs in on that, when LeBron tweets that picture out, when those players speak up, when they go to the ESPYs and D-Wade and Mello and CP3 and LeBron speak out. So you can't even imagine that in the NFL. So you can't even imagine that in the NFL to that degree where the league encourages, right? They have, you know, during All-Star yeah. Weekend and, and meetings of social conscience where they're debating issues of race. NFL ain't even caught up with that because they're a bunch of white Neanderthals who have no conscience or consciousness about the need to reorganize the logic of their of their particular um, organization. Now, but the difference, the differences, the different actions of the players in in each league, the NBA, the NFL, for instance, is that just the league? Is that just the setup of the league, or is it deeper than that? Is it is it a different culture? The sports have different cultures. Oh, it's oh, you're absolutely right. They have a different culture, but it's self fulfilling, right? It's a, it's a circular argument because the fact that you have predominantly black men. Who don't wear masks? You know, you're wearing a helmet in the NFL, so you don't know who these guys are. They can hide behind stuff. The, NFL, the NBA, you ain't got no man. You know who I am. Oh, that's Jordan. Right. Oh, is that what Tom Brady looks like? Oh, okay. Mm. Well, Tom Brady, they know, but others, you know, Gronk or whoever, right. they know those. But what about some of these other players? We don't know because they got helmets on. So the the, the people, right? And you know, NFL, uh, the NBA is exposed. Uh, they're predominantly black men. The interests and uh, desires that they have are going to be more readily, readily accepted. And they have a much a larger say-so over the con conduct of business, even though not l nearly large enough, but a much larger say-so and share in the distribution of power. So, yeah, the culture of it makes a difference. And if you got a more open-minded guy, like, you know, you can you imagine coaches like Pop? Right. Or Steve Kerr, right. or God bless Van him, Gundy. Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, yeah. Why is Van Gundy ain't got no job? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and and people speaking up and out. That, that, that's not even in the NFL. Who would say no? I mean, the owner who said, "Look, I'm gonna pay every fine." Yeah, the Jets, Jets, my man. That was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you know, we need about five more. Let's, uh, let's put let's put them to the test. And, let's do that. And, and, oh, and, let's and, do and well, that's the whole thing to test it. 
And that gets back to leadership. That's right. That's right. Because the reality is that if everybody, and you know it, Jerry, oh, everybody, if everybody oh, my God. does Jerry, it, oh, right. you're not going to fire. You can't fire everybody. Right. And, 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 the, and the right guys, too. Like Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott, if he right. kneels, Jerry Jones is going to play him next week. Oh, yeah. Okay? Right, he right, has right. no choice. No right, or Dak. Dak right. Prescott, but he ain't going to, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, if one of, that's what I'm saying. Marquee talent goes, nope, I'm tired, bro. I, I can't do this. And I've been a good citizen. I've done everything you said. And in this NFL, you can rape a woman. You can right. beat a woman. You can commit a crime. You can play. But, boy, if you dare challenge the notion that black people are not being treated with fairness and justice, you lose your job. And, that, and that's systematic, too, just oh, like everything else. Yeah. These guys, These players coming up, they've been... They've been training these oh, guys since what, what since eight, ten, as an example, ten years old, eleven right. years old. You mm-hmm. know from that, you're not, you know what you can Man, do, and what nothing. you can't, what you can and can't get away with from That's back right. then. Just like, just like the damn justice system. That's right. Just like this conversation we had before we came on air. <laughs> what was oh, that? You want to go there? Ah, we ain't going there. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. What were you talking about, yeah. man? What were you talking we about? We ain't going there. Maybe if we had the port here, we might go there. <laughs> but I, you know, we just celebrated. Um, uh, the second anniversary of uh, of Ali's death, right. uh, and you wrote about his impact on oh, James yeah. Baldwin, which oh, yeah. which is which is very interesting. And, and uh, oh yeah, well you know Baldwin used uh, Ali as an example of a courageous athlete, a hero, and he called him in. You know, I have a chapter called "Bad Niggas," and is after uh, Baldwin who testified before the state legislature here in New York, and he said, you know, that our heroes are bad niggas to you. Because you don't understand uh, who we are. So you demonize our uh, major figures. You see them as outlaws and the like. But they are our heroic figures. And until you grapple with our heroes becoming your heroes, you will never have racial justice or an understanding of who we are. And Ali was at the top of that heap. He understood, you know, Baldwin uh, celebrated him and praised him mm. for his courageous actions, his brave practices in the face of uh, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've written a lot for the undefeated, and by the mm-hmm. way, one of the editors I talked to they said we'd like you to write more for the undefeated. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Man, brother's writing Absolutely. books. Man. Yeah, you, got, you got another book coming out. <laughs> be, probably by the time we, by the time we finish this podcast, you have another book out. <laughs> hey, God bless. But what is the brother's secret? Uh, but you've written about uh, Kaepernick. Um, do you think that his fine a grievance with the NFL is going to actually? change anything is you know it's already the um i guess the larger question is what do you think about the anthem policy? but do you think his filing the grievance is gonna is gonna move the, the, move the needle mm-hmm. well is it what's his large name garagos or uh, you know he mm-hmm. said hey somebody about to drop a dime now i hope that comes to fruition i hope somebody dimes them out from yeah. within and says let me show you how they were colluding against these two men mm-hmm. eric reed and um kaepernick yes you know, somebody got to file a suit. Yeah. Somebody got to file a suit against the Board of Education. Which one go? I don't know. What are we going to do? Yeah, right, okay. Right. Brown, let's let's lump them all together. <laughs> right. Brown right. versus Board. Right. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's see. Well, we saw what happened. Right. You ain't going to get – look, you might not get it if you try, but you sure enough ain't going to get it if you don't try. Mm-hmm. And we got to that, – that suit, I think, is going to prove to be pivotal and extremely important uh, if indeed somebody rats them out, so to speak, and dimes them out and tells the truth about what they were doing and how they came at Kaepernick. And that's one of the legal means and remedies he has is to break them, uh, you know, legally and challenge them, if not financially. So at least legally uh, to put to register his opposition to what's going on and how they have vengefully and mm. resentfully treated him. Mm. And what do you think about the anthem policy, uh, particularly the, the, this latest twist? Uh, we kind of talked about it earlier, but the latest twist where you stay inside, you, gotta, if you don't want to come out. Yeah, stay, which I mean, they they give them a little bit of grace, but you know they're yeah, basically that's just hiding the yeah. darn protest. That, right. they, they they wish all of them would stay back there in one sense, because right. because because if you come out, that means you're gonna bow down. But if you don't, you know, even though we can assume maybe you got sick, maybe we don't right. know, maybe you stayed back for whatever. But at least we ain't got to see it. Right. And and no protest is great that can't be seen or heard. 
You know, when they say, oh, you can protest over here or 10 right. miles away from, that ain't no protest. <laughs> right. That, that's, that's some narcissistic right. self-congratulation. That ain't no protest. Right. Can you imagine? Uh, the March on Washington must be held, uh, 20 miles <laughs> from, and nobody will hear right. what's no, no cameras. Was. No cameras. And I have a dream was just lost to history. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Some dude like, yeah. what, what's your name is, sir? Uh, Martin <laughs> Jr. What did you used to do? I used to be a civil rights leader. <laughs> now I'm teaching. <laughs> Emeritus professor at right. Georgetown. Right. So the thing is, you got to have visibility. If the protest doesn't make you uncomfortable, it's not successful. Right. So when white people keep saying, "Let me tell," I'm with you, Bob, but let me tell you how to do it. Look, first of all, white person, right. if you're telling me how to do it, it's not a protest. Right. It's a complicitous arrangement of mutual benefit. Right. Protest means I'm on your behind. Right. You are uncomfortable. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't say, "Let me make you feel comfortable." Right. No, I got to make you feel uncomfortable. And if you have, you know, it, doing an interview with other people, uh, then, you know, you got to do your interview with other people and you got to say, hey, this is right. This is wrong. I'm a protest. I'm not going to protest. You're not going to undermine me, undercut me and deprive me of the ability to visibly you know, signify my displeasure. I mean, so this, this, I, I think Roger Goodell has been complicitous with a white supremacist and racist, a group of men who refuse to acknowledge the humanity of the people they exploit. And until we stand up together to protest that and visibly in front where people can see it is not a protest at all. So trying to mm-hmm. relegate them, this is what they always try to do to black mm-hmm. people, make them invisible. Mm-hmm. We ought to have, we already got a book called Invisible Man, <laughs> and they're trying to render us invisible, and that's what they're trying to do now. And it, and it goes, goes back to another big part of your book, which is, you know, the revisionist history of white people, and, and they'll say that, you know, they were with Muhammad Ali, right, right. you know, in the past. They were Amen. with, right. they liked the way that Martin Luther King yeah. protests That's back right. then. You, It's just Kaepernick doing it wrong now. That's right. That's right. You know, and 20 then, years from now, they'll be saying, oh, yeah, I was down. Yeah. Right, right, I right. Down, I was down with him. Right. Right, exactly. So why, why is it that uh, that people seem to have such a problem with athletes, particularly black athletes speaking out? I mean, they, you know. Because they got an investment. You know, I see you on TV. I think you're my friend. So they personalize it, individualize it. Um you know, don't historicize it or politicize it. And then they lead these, you know, they, 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 they feel a sense of personal betrayal and offense that these athletes whom they've invested in, that you make a bunch of money, they don't see that these athletes have come from communities. And if their people are not free, they're not free. Just because they are gilded, you know, cages in which they live don't mean they're not cages and airtight cages. And just because they're people, they're not likely to be mistreated. Oh, ask Brother Brown from uh, right. Milwaukee Bucks that, you know, you you get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's pretty tall. They can figure he's a basketball player. They don't care. And so I think a lot of white people get so upset because it reminds them that sports is not pure, that they can't have a, a, an escape from the realities that they must confront. So as a result of that, they punish the players for, you know, reminding them that this is not um, a meritocracy, that the pure merit doesn't determine the distribution of goods or resources or who can and cannot play or the nature of society. And when those black people identify with the black people from whom they come, now white people are challenged to acknowledge uh, the problems and recognize their and, and face their own consciences. And it's not something that's pretty or that they will willingly do. So do you think... You know, if you if you look at where where uh, Kennedy was, Robert Kennedy was mm-hmm. in 1963. Mm-hmm. By the time he died, now you said that you know he and his brother were bigger in death than him, right. but he actually evolved. Oh yeah, by, no, by, Robert by, Kennedy from, did. Yeah, yeah from, right from sixty from sixty three to his death. Oh yeah, sixty eight. Yeah, sixty eight. Yeah. I mean, he did. Oh, come he, because of that meeting, because he got beat down, because he got bitter resistance. He then learned. That this is much deeper than I thought, and he had to challenge himself. Absolutely, but we don't have many people willing to do that. And that's the whole point. I mean, that to me, when I all the way driving here, I'm thinking and, and that this it almost seems hopeless. Not not hopeless, mm-hmm. but it, it's you know when you go go through the museum. At least this is my experience. Every time I go through the museum uh, in D.C., right. By the time I get out, I said, you know, man, this is just an existential error. It's never over. Yeah. It's never over. And I think sometimes you're looking for this, you know, you write a book, it's the end. Right. But our thing is, and I, and I think that this is an ultimate, uh, what do you call it, eternal relay race. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're at a point, at least I feel at a point now, it's, 
you know, not so much handing the baton, but you got to take the baton. Right, right. But it's never, it's just never, never, never over. No, it's a, it's a perennial quest. It's an unending uh, journey. And we have to be willing to be long-distance runners and not sprinters. And mm. we have to pass the baton or at least uh, transfer the legacy from one generation to another, from one group to another, and figure out what we can do on our leg to make certain that we run the race with uh, skill and grace. Mm. That's the great Michael Eric Dyson, whose new book, 20th book, is What Truth Sounds Like. RFK, James Baldwin, and our unfinished conversation about race in America. We have to start. We have to start saying with people. What we're going to talk about right now. Race is not the problem in the United States. Right. The problem is racism. No question. You know, and, and we had these. What we're going to talk about right now. Man, I want to talk about race. Right. You know, what did Ashley Montague say? The man's greatest myth, racism. But that's like that's not polite cocktail talk. Right. You know? No. No. Not at all. But you're absolutely right. You know, say the difference between racism and bigotry. I tried to say yeah. recently on the on the view. So there are, there are big differences, but those concepts mean something, and we gotta we gotta make them mean something right. more. And also here with great Jamal Murphy, who we'll see again. Thanks uh, for having me. Hey, listen, this has been great. But before you leave, who's one, two, and three? Uh-huh. Okay, you keep you keep. Uh-huh. I want who's one right now. This moment. Right now? This moment. If if you are gonna go to be exiled to Atlantis. <laughs> but this was this was a definitive Michael Eric Dyson's one, two, and three. Who were one, two, and three? I'll go one, one, one. Uh, <laughs> I'll go one, brother, one, one. I'm, wait, wait, hold I'm, on. I'm Joe hold Lewis. On. I got you to go one, <laughs> two, and three. I'm going to go four, four, four. <laughs> I'm going to go four, four, four. <laughs> I, I got to say, on the let's do it on Mount Rushmore. I'd say, you know, of course, Kobe, Jordan, LeBron, and I'd have to, you know, if I only got four, if I only had four. What about if you only had three? Oh, man. Well, that's, uh, it. that's, right it. that's it. I mean, how you going? I mean, Kareem. Yeah, you got to put Kareem. Kareem, okay. you know, is number four. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, not in that, you just, just on that. Right. But damn, what are we going to do with magic? <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to build another mountain. Here, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Hey. That's right. Put them on Mount Shaniqua. In, Wy- in Wyoming somewhere. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks so much, man. This, Thank you this, for this, this has been tremendous. All right, brother. That's all the time we have for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You could also contact me directly. I'm at WC Roden. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by the great Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bamani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.